Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Good evening, everybody, those who are tuning in live. Uh, this is the Daniel 3 Podcast, episode 90. Uh, thanks for all you who are tuning in, whether it's live or whether it's on the audio feed or on YouTube after it posts. I uh, appreciate you coming and watching. So let me do some of the sponsors to start out with. Um, as always on this program, we advertise and pretty much exclusively drink uh, Rabbit Eye Blueberry Wine if Jesus was walking the earth today and turning water into wine, well, it would have to be Rabbit Eye Blueberry Wine, which you can get at rabbiteyewine.com. Uh, support libertarian small business and get yourself some delicious blueberry wine. And it doesn't matter if you're someone who's into sweet wine or dry wine or anything in between. They got it in different flavors and, and variations so you can... Get it to your exact taste and liking. Again, that's rabbiteyewine.com. So uh, other sponsor of the show is Sexton Inventive, and they're the one to uh, do my website. So, you know, if you want to uh, get any graphic design done or any kind of website or, you know, really, really anything kind of in like that kind of category of sort of like just online sort of, uh, you know, work done, Definitely check them out. They do good work. Good friends of mine over there at Sexton Inventive. And, of course, the website is Daniel318.com. I'm kind of thinking about maybe changing the domain on that. So stay tuned if it if it does get changed. Or I mean, I'd probably keep, I don't know if I'd keep the old one or not. We'll see. A lot of changes going on lately, um, which if you've been watching the show, uh, you know about a lot of the changes. So, um, to recap, for those who haven't seen it, 
Um, and just to remind those who have already, a, I have started a new podcast with the Libertarian Christian Institute, which I'm very excited about. Uh, episode two actually just released on the podcatchers today, uh, and episode three is coming out later this week, and then we'll kind of go to a regular weekly rotation. It's going to be every Wednesday, um, I think it's set to like four or five o'clock uh, to release every Wednesday after we get another two out this week. They get the ball rolling. And so this podcast, you know, has for a while kind of um, drifted away from being uh, originally the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy podcast. And I kind of realized about 10 episodes in that that was a little bit too much of a mouthful to say every time. And so I shortened it to the Daniel 3 podcast. Well, now the Biblical Anarchy podcast is its own podcast, part of the Christians for Liberty Network, which is a new project of the Libertarian Christian Institute to, you know, increase sort of the diverse, uh, you know, diversity and outreach of LCI and to reach more people. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I remember when I had Doug on the show a few like months ago before all this happened, I remember asking him a question about uh, what the diversity was like at the Libertarian Christian Institute, which, uh, you know, it, it was sort of a foreshadowing of things to come before either of us really. Uh, I mean, he might have been planning, you know, already. He might have already had that, those plans in the work, but I didn't really have that idea in my head yet. So, um, but I'm very excited about this partnership and I, I'm going to be plugging it probably every episode or most episodes for a while, because if you like this show and you like, uh, my perspective or you like the kind of, um, work that I've done in the past, um, this show is kind of going more in a direction of just sort of general, live streaming, having panels on, and et cetera. And it's not going to exclusively focus on Christian anarchism uh, or Christian libertarianism, although, of course, that's going to come up here and there. But it, it's going to be more of a sort of live live stream interactive show and less of a, uh, you know, educational or informational show where I, you know, do deep dives into those specific topics that I have done in the past. So if that's something that you want to check out, you know, so for example, I mean, the first episode was just what is biblical anarchy and sort of like just making that foundational case. The episode that released today was um, about the temptation of control and how that relates to the first temptation in the garden and also the temptation of Christ. And then later this week, I have an episode coming out um, on the biblical anarchy podcast with my good friend uh, Liam McCollum, who is a contributor at the Libertarian Institute um, and Antiwar.com. And we go into just the sort of like the case for being anti-war from a Christian and biblical perspective, as well as sort of like uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Sorry, my allergies are bugging me a little bit, so just ignore me uh, rubbing my nose a little bit here. <laughs> and then... Uh, Next week's episode is going to be um, a beginning of a series on uh, property rights and going into the Bible and sort of uh, doing a deep dive um, over multiple episodes, not all in a row. I'm going to space them out here and there in between other episodes, but it's going to be a continuing series on uh, the economics of the Bible, really, you know, biblical economics, what what is normative in the Bible as far as what property rights are, 
where value comes from, um, you know, how, you know, we are supposed to interact with our neighbors when it comes to exchange and trade and all that. And that it definitely uh, informs just in general how we are supposed to live at peace with all and how that, you know, definitely relates to uh, libertarianism and anarchism as well. So a uh, lot of cool stuff in the works. So if you want to go check that out, uh, biblicalanarchypodcast.com. Um, and you could also go to, uh, I forget the name of the network. If you go to biblicalanarchypodcast.com, there will be a link also for the Christians for Liberty Network. I forget the exact link for the entire network, but there's a bunch of other podcasts that have released as well over on the Christians for Liberty Network. And so I definitely recommend going and checking those out as well because we got a really great roster of people putting out different types of content, which should definitely be filling your feeds and your uh, time to listen to podcasts and stuff because uh, it's just, you know, we, we have people who are doing news sort of content. We have people who are going into, uh, you know, different types of, Christian philosophy and the, uh, theology and connecting that to libertarianism and uh, just just a lot of people who are, you know, uh, and then we, we also have some episodes coming down the road on, uh, you know, kind of like roundtables where we all get together and talk. We just did one last week at Doug's house uh, or two weeks ago at Doug's house over a, uh, around a bonfire, which was really good. So I'm really excited. Definitely go check that out and uh, you're not going to regret it. Trust me. So, uh, I think that's it as far as, uh, yeah, uh, you know, as always the, uh, the wife says it better than, uh, her husband, <laughs> uh, oh, I've said, uh, in the comments, if you're going to fill your time, you might as well make it Christian based. Very, very true. All right. So I got a couple things I wanted to go into tonight. So let me pull my phone up here. All right, and my phone doesn't recognize my face because I'm an alien or something like that. So, obviously, one of the things, and as it says in the title, that I wanted to talk about was the recent uh, events that happened in Colorado. And I'm, I'm kind of not, I'm not really up on the uh, rules, by the way, as far as YouTube and, and stuff goes. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, you know what is in the title, S-H-O-O-T-I-N-G. I don't even spelling it is, is allowed. I don't know if it, it was going to get me shadow banned or flagged or whatever. But, I mean, I think anyone, if you don't know what happened, just, you know, use your imagination or go to Google and just type in Colorado and nightclub. There was a uh, an act of violence that happened there. You can kind of use your imagination. Uh, and this was a, a gay nightclub. And... Um, you know, I've only listened to a couple summaries of it. I haven't had a chance to, you know, do a lot of investigative uh, research myself. I don't even know how much information is out there yet. Uh, we know the, the person was young. Uh, there definitely is a history that the perpetrator, whose name I'm not going to use, uh, has a history of threats of violence, including uh, threats towards his own family and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, probably a mental illness uh, component to this that, you know, shouldn't be ignored. Uh, and, you know, obviously a tragic loss of life. I think five people were killed and a total of 25 people were injured. So, you know, first and foremost, as a, as a Christian, uh, 
you know, I abhor violence, uh, you know, and we feel uh, great sorrow for the friends and the family of, of, of the people whose lives were lost. And prayers also go out to the people who were wounded that they would recover uh, and, you know, recover both physically and also emotionally and mentally from the trauma of, of that experience. Because I can't imagine what it uh, must be like to you know, witness that and to, to be part of that and to survive that. And, you know, it, it, it's definitely a tragic, horrible uh, thing. And nobody, you know, I, I don't see anyone celebrating this, but, you know, there, there's definitely sort of this weird reaction on the left right now that almost acts like this is what conservatives and Republicans want, that, you know, this is all the fault of evangelical Christians and and conservatives and Republicans, and if they would just get on board with the, you know, LGBT rights movement and all that and everything that the Democrats and the institutions that are controlled by the left are pushing, and we just accepted uh, these, you know, the, the LGBT community uh, into society, uh, that this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. And that, you know, the reason why this stuff happens is because we're dehumanizing them by not accepting their lifestyle and we're, um, you know, kind of creating a class of humans who don't get to integrate into society. And this contributes to depression, to suicide, and then, of course, to also them being the target of hate crimes and violence. And, yeah, you know, it's funny, my... uh my wife in the comments says, and you know, and and throw all the guns out, right? You know, what's funny is I don't actually see that much of that in this response, although I'm sure it's there. But you know, you know, obviously, you know, ban all guns because then that solves the problem. There, there was no violence, and no one was ever killed before the AR-15 was created. I don't even know if an AR-15 is what was used in this shooting, and even if it was, it doesn't matter because most. Uh, most shootings, most deaths by gun in America happen by handguns and not by AR-15s. But um, oh well, if if AOC said it, it must be true. <laughs> she definitely would. She definitely wouldn't just say something without fact checking it first. Uh, um. Anyway, so I want to get into that, and I want to get into the 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 topic of just. LGBT rights and and the LGBT community from a, you know, from from my perspective, and I bring multiple, you know, perspectives or a, a blending of perspectives into this. I mean, obviously, you know, first and foremost, as a Christian, um, I read the Bible and and my belief in the Scripture being God's Word, holy, uh, you know, inspired, God breathed, and inerrant, I would believe that a consistent reading of Scripture from start to finish, although there are certain passages that can definitely be uncharitably read, and there can definitely, you know, I'll give the devil his due here, there can definitely be a sort of soft or even hard, just explicit bigotry that comes from this stance, and I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't exist. Um, but to stop 
prefacing everything, I do believe that the Bible does, uh, both implicitly and explicitly, proclaim that homosexual lifestyles, not, not that if someone has a homosexual attraction or a proclivity to be attracted to someone of the same sex, but, but the actual act of engaging in, you know, sexual intercourse with someone of the same sex as you and being in a relationship with someone of the same sex, I do think that the Bible uh, declares that that is sinful, that that is outside of God's design for how humans are supposed to live. And it's, again, it's one of the many types of sins that people commit, and there's nothing good about it, but there's nothing also especially or uniquely bad about homosexuality. I mean, it's it's no worse than any other sort of sexual sin, in in my opinion. Sorry, my throat just gets really dry. I'm used to, you know, a little tangent here. When I When I used to have more guests on the show, I could sneak my water breaks in when someone else was talking. You know what I mean? But when it's only you talking, it's like, you have this weird pressure to always be filling the silence. You can't pause for anything. So it's like, you know, pausing to breathe, pausing to swallow, pausing to take a drink of water because talking dries your throat out. It's like, how do you do it? I don't know. Maybe the more I'll do it, the the, the better I'll get at it. Um, anyway, uh, getting off the tangent here. Uh, so I think that the, yeah, I think that the Bible, if taken consistently and seriously, uh, does portray homosexuality as a sin. And as I was caveating that and couching that earlier, I think some Christians definitely have a fixation on that that isn't helpful and that does sometimes cross into what I would call like homophobia or some kind of prejudice towards people who have same-sex attraction or who even are in same-sex relationships. And I don't think that's the Christian response. I do think the Christian response to, to everyone should be more or less the same. You know, if someone's living in sin, you know, there's there might be certain things that you have a, you know, a greater or lesser tolerance for. And I'm not saying everyone has to be friends with everybody or everyone has to reach out to everyone of every group or every type of person equally, but I do think that there's a slippery slope there for for really condemning any type of behavior as sin and then engaging in a judgment of those people and thinking that you are better than them because you don't commit that sin. I think that applies to way more than just homosexuality. I think people can do this with alcoholics. I think people can do this with people who don't go to church. I think people can do this with people who uh, watch pornography or people who gamble or people who, I don't know, you name it. Any any type of sin can really uh, fit the bill here. And, and there are people who uh, just look at a different person's sin like and their struggle with that particular sin and think that, oh, well, my struggle with sin, maybe it's bad, but it's not as bad as that person's struggle with sin. And I, I don't think that is a Christian response, um, you know, or, or a Christ-like response, so to speak. So that is definitely something that we need to be wary of as Christians when we're dealing with 
the LGBT community is that we have to walk that line that Jesus walked so brilliantly between condemning the sin and calling people to repentance, but still meeting people where they're at and not, uh, not avoiding the person because really what the person needs is to be loved and to be led to Christ ultimately. And if we avoid these people, we're missing out on opportunities to do that. And, you know, Jesus sometimes was accused of, you know, because he ate with, remember the saying he ate with, he broke bread with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And, uh, you know, my, my line's always like, you know, well, the tax collectors, Jesus went too far on, right? But no, I do think that, you know, in the same way that a hospital isn't going to be filled with healthy people, a church isn't going to be filled with people who don't have their own struggles with sin. And if we're supposed to be going out there and being salt and light in the world and um, mimicking what Jesus did, then we have to be engaging with sinners. And that includes people in the LGBT community. And these people still need love. They still need help. Um, you know, we shouldn't be begrudging or slow to give charity or acts of aid or acts of love or acts of prayer, acts of service to anyone just because of their sexual orientation or, or, or lifestyle, even if it's sinful, because, you know, Jesus loved us first the way we were in our sin, and we're called to do the same. And although we want to stand on the truth, right, and we want to call out sin for what it is and not dilute the truth, and we do want to call people to repentance, there's a way you can do that in a loving, gentle spirit that's not, you know, again, that's doing it in a Christ-like fashion where you're you're not couching everything you do in browbeating them with the need to repent. I think, for the most part, people's own internal conscience and the Holy Spirit can do the act of convicting people of their sin without us having to browbeat them with it. That said, although I acknowledge the slippery slope there, like I said, there is a problem when you kind of scale this out from like a individual level and how we treat individuals to how do we respond to what's going on in the culture. And when we look at the broader LGBT movement and we see sort of the push to normalize these certain behaviors, especially to children, but also just in all sorts of media and and whatnot, whether it's TV shows, movies, books, uh, etc. And when I say normalize, I mean, there's, it's one thing to, you know, act like, it'd be maybe silly to suggest that all of our books and media and, and whatnot should just like pretend LGBT people don't exist. But at the same time, there's been an overcorrection there. You know, where it's like every movie and every TV show and comic and whatever has to meet these diversity quotas. And it's like, you you, you know, if you don't have a black, trans, queer, uh, you know, asexual, whatever superhero in your roster, then you're, you know, not a true ally or something like that. So I definitely think there's a little bit of you know, and then when the stuff gets pushed on children, it definitely becomes especially a problem. 
and I, I'm sensitive to I guess you, I guess you could say both sides of the conversation here because I, I I do see a need to as a Christian not dehumanize people, but I also see an important need from a Christian perspective to push back against things in culture that are seeking to promote lifestyles that not only do I think are sinful, I think they're bad for society. And I, I think this is where, you know, sometimes in my libertarian circles, um, there, there tends to be a little bit of confusion. And pausing for a water break. Sorry. I, don't, I feel like drinking water is awkward. Like when I watch Dave... Dave Smith vapes in between takes and stuff, and I don't know. It's okay when he does it, but when I do it, I feel like I'm, I don't know. I feel like it's distracting. If it is, I don't know. Too bad. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of moving parts here, and I, I've engaged in some conversations recently on Twitter that I kind of had to just punt the ball on because it was like, listen, this is just too complicated to try to hash out on Twitter because you know even if someone's being charitable and not everyone was being charitable on Twitter there were some people who were just trying to take the worst possible interpretation of the things i was saying and so you know i think that when it comes to like let's start with with gay marriage right i think that i understand the libertarian position here in terms of that you know if uh two men or two women or really two anyone <laughs> or I'll even grant three anyone you know any if if two or more people want to do something and the thing they're doing doesn't violate the rights of others and in this example it they want to engage in a legal relationship or contractual relationship and they want to call it marriage well, should there be men with guns to tell them they can't do that? Should we have a law that says that if people do that, they will be fined, and if they don't pay the fine, that they can be thrown in jail, and if they resist arrest, that they will be forced that they will be forcibly made to comply, or they will be killed in the process by thugs with guns? No, I don't. I don't think we should do that, and so. Insofar as I am a libertarian, I agree with the libertarian perspective on this, which is that banning gay marriage or gay unions of any sort, whether they're in the eyes of the law or not, is not a libertarian position to, to have. That said, the true libertarian position, in my opinion, would be to just not have the government have any stance on marriage at all. And the only way I think that the government should be involved is if you have some kind of prenup or you have some sort of, uh, I don't know, some kind of arrangement that pertains to property. And I guess there, there's a lot of layers to the, the issue of marriage. And I guess one of the issues that I have just with the subject on a whole is that there's so many things that get attached to marriage. And if at any point you say, well, I don't I don't want the state to be involved in marriage or I don't think that um or if I take a Christian perspective that I don't believe in gay marriage, 
people automatically find the thing that they find to be the most important aspect of marriage and think that you're trying to deprive them of that, which is not at all what my intention is. The problem is this, is, this isn't just a baby in the bathwater problem. This is like uh, five babies mixed up in a pile of quicksand. <laughs> and it's and it's really hard to try to to you know dissect all the moving pieces here and do it in a delicate fashion. I mean if two people just want to live together it's none of my business. If two people want to live together for the purposes of lessening their tax burden, well I'm very sympathetic to that as a libertarian. And insofar as taxation is theft and less theft is a good thing, gay couples wanting to evade paying higher taxes to the government is something I, I do actually want to support because it's it's a defensive measure against their resources being taken from them unjustly in the first place. And so there's a good argument there. And there's other things like the right to visit someone in a hospital or the right to, uh, I don't know, like automatically be assumed to be someone's power of attorney or to have someone's assets go to you when they die if you don't have a clear-cut will drawn up maybe or just, you know, a lot of examples of like assumed rights that um, – or like there was one that someone brought up uh, like – the right to not have to testify against your spouse in court. Uh, there, there's a lot of like attached rights that I have different opinions on, and it's it's not it's not simple. You know, the libertarian conception of rights, of course, is that we believe in negative rights and not positive rights. So that means that we don't believe that you are owed anything from anybody. So as a, sorry, peeking there. So a, as a anarcho-capitalist, I don't think you have- Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The right to something called marriage. I don't think you have a right to not have to testify against your spouse in court. And, and I guess part of the problem here is I'm running into people who have more of a classical liberal, you know, separation of powers perspective, and they and they would consider themselves libertarians. And, you know, insofar as I want to have a big tent within the libertarian movement and, and libertarian party insofar as I'm involved in that, I, I'm sympathetic to, you know, their position. But again, this is where it's difficult when we're trying to share spaces with, with one another. And we do have, in a certain sense, fundamentally different frameworks for what we call rights. Again, I don't think you have a a right to anyone 
giving you a good or a service. You don't own anybody. You don't uh, accept yourself, and you don't own anybody's labor or have a claim to their labor or property. And you don't have a claim to these like legal fictions. But the problem is that on a pragmatic level, while we exist in this, you know, not an anarcho-capitalist legal structure, but this statist legal structure where people's rights are being violated constantly, but there are certain things that allow people to lessen the degree to which their rights are entrenched upon. Ultimately, where the baby in the bathwater, or the quicksand as I alluded to, where they get separated is that there's a legal and material sort of like minutia or, or level of analysis here where on, you know, most of the time I'm going to side with the libertarian position and advocating for the, the greatest protection of rights or the, the least, the lowest amount of rights being violated. And that will often make me a defender of gay marriage because it's the the least bad position as a, you know, it's not the ideal solution in my mind of uh, removing marriage entirely as a construct and finding a way to implement the rights that people have attached to marriage in different ways that aren't attached to that. But I recognize that that's sort of like making the perfect, the enemy of the good and sort of like we're nowhere close to that. And this is also not a hill I, particularly want to die on on the legal level the issue is the rhetorical level and it's very similar to the topic of abortion where i'm very sympathetic to the legal and political argument that libertarians make on the topic of abortion which is that if you ban abortion or even try to regulate it you've created a very slippery slope where now the government is incentivized to invade your privacy, to treat every pregnancy as a potential criminal investigation, especially every miscarriage as a criminal investigation, to see if the loss of life was incidental or intentional. And then do you create a, you know, can the government try you in court if the miscarriage was caused by poor diet or by some sort of neglect on your part? Um, in the same way that you could have your children taken from you or be charged with with something uh, if you if you had children and you mistreated them in some way, you know, can the government uh, lock pregnant women in jail and force them to give birth, even if there's some kind of psychological harm that's going to come upon them? Is the law that spanning abortion going to be written in a way that doesn't hamper upon medical abortions that need to be performed being performed? Is this going to slow down medical advances in terms of uh, artificial wombs and making abortion technologically obsolete? There's a lot of libertarian arguments to be made about why using the government to try to solve the problem of abortion is an incredibly bad idea. And I understand these arguments and I'm incredibly sympathetic to them. The issue, however, is on the rhetorical level. And this is where libertarians and I often are at odds because I will not see the rhetorical ground that abortion is like a woman's right to choose or a woman's right to her own body. 
and you know uh, abortion is a fundamental human right and women aren't you know full people or fully autonomous people um if if they don't have a right to an abortion and that people who are against abortion are just trying to control women and control their bodies and you know the whole it's not your uterus and just all this stuff which just like no no that's that's not right that's not you know again on the political practical level yes banning abortion is not a good solution but that doesn't mean that then we suddenly play the pro-choice rhetoric as if it's true because it's not it's just not abortion is murder it is wrong you don't have a right to your own body that supersedes the right to the fetus's life and so this is where the philosophical and the moral clash with the the practical and the possible and it creates this very tricky ground to navigate and we have the same issue when it comes to marriage you know i i feel compelled as a christian to not cede the ground on gay marriage because it, it, it actually there's even some libertarian and economic considerations here i mean for one a low birth rate is bad for your economy and bad for your society uh furthermore there's some pretty you know good psychological evidence for the idea that uh children benefit from having two parents and benefit from having a male and a female parent and those people being in a committed loving relationship with each other and we see the detrimental effects of single parenthood whether it's single motherhood or single fatherhood and i am not convinced that well let's put it this way i'm not convinced that a gay couple is going to be a, be terrible parents and that that child is going to be screwed up for life in every single case but i'm i'm not convinced that the child is in as good of a situation as they would be if they were being raised by you know a mother and a father and so there's economic and psychological considerations there and then there's also the fact that i think marriage as an institution is fundamentally supposed to be tied to heterosexual relationships and the idea that this is the natural biological pairing that nature and god have sort of ordained over for the rearing of the species and for the creating of new life and for the rearing of new life and raising of new life and so this gets into sort of like the idea of of culture and does every culture just equal out in the end and and can libertarianism work in all cultures equally and do all like do all roads lead out of Rome? And I, I don't I don't believe that. I, I believe that there are cultural consequences and societal consequences to promoting certain lifestyle choices. And that includes normalizing gay marriage on a rhetorical cultural level, because I do think that it contributes to the the problems I just laid out, the weakening and decaying of the institution of marriage and the family unit um and it's also part of this broader push for this kind of woke ideology that places one's sexuality and gender identity and etc as these like paramount aspects to a person's identity and 
you know, I view it as a quasi-religion of sorts, but one that has very detrimental uh, impact on children and on families and also promotes, you know, uh, I, I always get this uh, screwed up. Is it low time preference or high time preference? Um, let's see. If you have a low time preference, it means that you're willing to uh, wait longer for something. Yes. And if you have a high time preference, it means that um, you can't wait uh, for something, right? Looking it up right now to remind myself. Yeah, yeah, high time preference is concerned of the needs of the immediate moment. I, I, no matter how many times I remind myself of that, I always forget on the spot. So yeah, it's it is promoting of high time preference thinking, and it, to me, it's a, a slippery slope from normalizing a lot of the sort of axioms in woke ideology and social progressivism that includes the normalization of gay marriage and a sort of brave new world dystopian future. You know, I don't think that you can make libertarianism work in that kind of culture. Now, people will hear that and immediately jump to insane conclusions like, well, then you must be a Christian nationalist or a dominionist because you want to impose Christianity uh, on people through the state. It's like, well, no, that's, that's also bogus. That's also just immediately falling into binary thinking and uncharitable uh, interpretation. I don't want to use the state to impose Christian values upon society. For one, it is not a Christian value to impose Christian values by the sword. And I kind of have a whole podcast about how we shouldn't do that. So it's kind of just like hilariously dumb to accuse me of, you know, running a podcast called Biblical Anarchy and also that I want to be a Christian nationalist and wield the sword to impose Christianity on people. It's like, no, that's that's silly. And anyone who's listened to me talk for more than 10 minutes at any point knows that that's not true about me. But it is funny <laughs> because I know Christian nationalists. I know theonomists. I know the hardcore hoppians. And while maybe sometimes we can be friends in the same way that I can be friends with anyone who disagrees with me, I have friends who consider themselves woke, I have friends who are Muslim, I have friends who are atheists, and I have some friends who would consider themselves theonomists or Christian nationalists. And, you know, there are obviously some things we agree on, because we're both, you know, if we're Christians, we'll agree on certain Christian things. Some Christian theonomists are actually fans of Austrian economics, and so they understand economics a little bit, but they get the Bible all wrong when it comes to civil governance and the role of the sword in, as it's taught in the Bible. I don't hate these people, and I don't demonize these people, and I don't completely dissociate from them, but I do strongly disagree with them, and they know it. And although I have some friends in those crowds, there's a lot of people who are in those crowds who just write me off and call me a leftist because I'm okay with leftists subverting society because I'm not in favor of wielding the sword against them. So it's it's crazy. I get Hoppians calling me leftists and the leftists calling me a Nazi. It's like, okay, you guys, you guys fight it out and let me know which one I am, please. Or maybe I'll just 
continue to know that I'm neither of those. Anyway, yeah, it's it's just completely crazy to immediately jump to someone who wants to defend a more Christian, traditional view of marriage rhetorically and automatically assume statist intentions upon their part. Uh, I don't want to impose those things by the state. I want to influence culture to normalize those things. But this leads to then what happened in Colorado, the shooting at this nightclub, because there are some people who would still accuse me of being a fascist or dominionist, because even to try to influence the culture without the state to denormalize these lifestyles is to dehumanize these people and to promote the sort of hatred that leads to these shootings happening in the first place. That's basically the line of argument that you're seeing all over Twitter and all over social media. And I have a problem with that as well. For one, I think that it's cherry-picking because to act like there's a rise only in violence against LGBT people is to just put blinders on to the fact that just violent crime is on a rise, period, in a lot of different areas and communities. I mean, you know, uh, if if we're going to play identity politics, which I don't want to play that, but that's the game the left's playing. So I'm going to, you know, just in a hypothetical sense here, meet meet them, you know, play fire with fire for a bit. In, in, in You know, again, on an intellectual level, church shootings are up like 50% or more, depending on what studies you look at, since like 2016. I, there was like a 40% jump from like 2014 to 2018, and then another big jump from 2018 to present. But it's also, you know, just very coincidentally hard to find data on this on Google compared to violence committed towards other groups. But if you go and find the places who were counting up all of the underreported stories of shootings happening at churches or mosques or temples or other religious institutions, they're on the rise. The The only times that the church shootings get listed are when there's an armed person in the church who stops the shooter, and even those are kind of suppressed a little bit, but they get a bit more attention because it involves, you know, guns and, and people using guns defensively. But, yeah, there's a rise in violence in all sorts of places right now. It's not good. We should obviously oppose violence and shooting no matter who it's being done to. And while, I, like I said at the beginning of this of this episode, I can definitely acknowledge that some people, when they say you know, being gay is a sin, we'll take that to too far a level, but just acknowledge that anyone can do that with anything. There are some people who hate Muslims so much that they shoot up mosques, and there are some people who hate Judaism so much that they shoot up temples. There are some people who dislike Christians or conservatives so much that they do violence against them. I mean, what about when Rand Paul was attacked? Uh, was that at a baseball game, you know, years ago? Well, you know, what about all these church shootings? You know, what about the threats that are made? You know, like as much as I don't like someone like Donald Trump, when you see some of the people on the left and how they talk about wanting to cause physical harm to him and his supporters, it's like, uh, you know, and then they're like, oh, and but, you know, stop dehumanizing trans people or gay people because you're killing us. It's just like, you know, it's the pot calling the kettle black. 
And none of this is good. This is all just violence begetting violence and hatred begetting hatred. And I'm not on either side of, of that game. I'm just saying that, you know, both sides are kind of unwilling to hear the other one out. Um, I'm willing to, you know, give the devil its due that there's some amount of dehumanization towards LGBT people that leads to probably, you know, it's one factor among many in terms of the violence that that group of people have to uh, be on the receiving end, but it's not limited to just them. Intolerance and bigotry and the propensity for people to do violence towards people that uh, they have an intolerance to is not a uniquely right-wing or Christian or conservative phenomena. And that that is the main pushback that needs to be given here. Uh, because otherwise we're just continuing to play these, these self-destructive identity politics games and we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, th I think my point is pretty clear there. <laughs> um, we should obviously treat people as individuals and, and do our best to not collectivize people and to not collectivize gr groups of people. As Christians, we should seek to love people and we can call out people's sin and still love them. Now, there are some Christians who need to hear that and they need to hear the and we can still love them. But then there's people on the left who need to hear that we can love them and still condemn their sin and call them to repentance. These two things are not mutually exclusive. And again, as a Christian libertarian, as a, as a Christian anarchist, I am going to politically side with libertarians when it comes to the nature of the state, and when, you know, when is force justified? When is violence justified? Okay, violence is not justified against someone for being gay. But that doesn't mean I have to approve their lifestyle, and it doesn't mean that I'm perpetuating violence against them if I say, hey, I want the state out of marriage, and I'm not a fan of gay marriage because I think it's not a perfect libertarian solution. I think it's an example of the state, instead of just minding its own business, it's instead getting involved in something, and it's then, as a consequence, normalizing something and holding up something as good, and it creates all sorts of issues. And again, it's not even just about the homosexual part. It's about the creating of sort of like, you know, uh, the normalization of group rights, the normalization of positive rights, the normalization of we have a problem and we need the government to fix it. Well, no, the government created the problem in the first place when it created the institution of taxation and then created the institution of marriage that gave some people a way to lessen their tax burden and also when it created a monopoly over the legal system and made it the one system everyone has to use and made it so that it's super expensive for people to write up contracts to kind of like find other ways to secure rights or privileges that they would be free to negotiate for at a much cheaper rate in a free market system of competing legal systems. But when you create a monopoly that's backed by force 
it creates all these complicated problems. And it's not wrong to point out that the current solution that a lot of libertarians are pointing to as like the solution is not really the solution. It's more like it's more like if someone got stabbed and you ripped up part of your shirt and you tied a tourniquet around it to stop the bleeding. Like, okay, it's good enough for now. In the heat of the battle against the state, I'm not going to die on the hill of gay marriage because that that's a problem that the, you know, when you're trying to calculate sort of like the return on, on investment, you're, you're, it, it's not going to be a hill that you're going to gain a lot of ground on, and there's more harm being done on other hills. And that's a problem that I prefer to fight on a cultural level, but that means, put it this way, libertarians who are not Christian, or even like, you know, if you're just a libertarian and you're okay with gay marriage, you have to also be okay with libertarians who are not okay with gay marriage, who aren't going to advocate for the stripping away of rights, but they have to be free to advocate for a difference in rhetoric and philosophy and morality and religion. If you strip away that right and you narrow the definition of libertarianism down to you have to be okay with this list of social uh, agenda and, and activities and whatnot, and uh, everyone has to agree that all these things are okay and all cultural values are okay— and have an opinion that's contrary to that isn't libertarian. Not only is that hurting the libertarian movement, but because because you're gatekeeping and whatnot. But to me, I mean, it's a lot of things. It's gatekeeping. It's also just naive about how these behaviors would work in a actual free society, and all the other side effects I listed, like the. You know, again, the big thing being normalizing the government being the solution rather than, you know, I don't know, as an anarchist, I'm kind of a, a bit more interested in normalizing the idea of government being the problem. So, and the solution to government problems being the government just doesn't jive with me. And it doesn't jive with me for Christian and for anarchist reasons. So... I don't know. Uh, let me know if you disagree with me, but and if you do, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But let me know if, like, is that a completely crazy, irrational, you know, unreconcilable position with libertarianism? Because I, if that's your position, I think you're wrong. If you think my position is at least compatible with libertarianism, but you just think I'm wrong because you don't have the same cultural views I have. That's fine. We can agree to disagree. We can be good allies and work together on the issues that we agree on. But again, I think that the other consequence too is the more that we gatekeep uh, and and sort of like insist that we all have the same point of view on this within libertarian circles, we're also promoting the same rhetoric that the identity politics rhetoric that would say that this recent shooting was caused by conservatives and Christians who don't agree with gay marriage. It's like, that would be like me saying atheists cause church shootings. Now, some people who shoot up churches are probably atheists. 
but I wouldn't blame the entirety of the atheist population for promoting such hatred against Christians that they all of the church shootings that happen are because of that. Let's be let's be clear about something. The vast majority of shootings are like gang related and in cities and usually drug uh you know related to the war on drugs and police or like rival gangs fighting. But then if we take that out of the equation, the rest of the shootings that happen are like family members shooting each other and then people who have like a severe undiagnosed mental illness going on a killing spree. And yes, then there are these there are outliers to to those categories of course. But we have to stop giving into the knee-jerk temptation to sensationalize things as if oh, well, you know, a gay person was shot and that's because there are people who are Christians who don't agree with homosexuality. And that's how we get to crazy ideas like speech is violence and disagreeing with people and having a contrary opinion is violence. And you know what? If we want to talk about having a more libertarian society, the more that we give into rhetoric that normalizes the idea that disagreements lead to violence, that sort of undercuts libertarian philosophy. Because if we can't disagree without violence, then libertarianism has no hope of working at all. So either you don't believe in libertarianism, or if you do, then you have to agree with the fact that in a free society, people will disagree, and they will either agree to disagree and live with each other, or they will have freedom of association and live apart from each other, but even then probably associate on different levels like free trade and etc. So anyway, I'm coming up on an hour and I told my wife I was going to keep this to an hour so that we could spend some time together tonight. But I appreciate you all for uh, tuning in and watching and listening to me rant. Uh, so I'm going to cut it off there. I hope this makes some sense. Uh, if you agree with me, please comment or you know like the video, share it. Uh, if you're listening on the audio, if you leave a review and stuff, that would be, uh, you know, immensely helpful in helping to get the podcast podcast out to more people. Again, check out biblicalanarchypodcast.com and check out the other podcast that just launched with the Libertarian Christian Institute. I think you're going to love it. Uh, and, you know, if you want to support the show, you know, the, the two ways to do that, you know, one, I would really, I really want to encourage people to go and donate to the Libertarian Christian Institute and let them know that you discovered them and are donating because you, you know, came through watching this show that lets them know that I sent you there. And that helps, you know, with just increasing the, the, the sort of reach that I can have and, you know, helps support me in my efforts to, you know, keep putting out content on, you know, both, both podcasts uh, alternatively, if you want to support me more directly, that's fine too. I do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash biblical anarchy. Uh, you can join for as little as $3 a month and you get some pretty amazing perks for doing that. Um, and then there's other tiers and stuff that you can do where you'll get like a t-shirt or you'll, you know, get into a private discord group with me. Uh, you'll be able to suggest certain shows or come on the show. Um, and if you're out there and you have a product that you want to sponsor, 
My sponsorship rates are pretty reasonable. It's $15 a month for two episodes a month of getting sponsored, uh, or you can pay for more episodes um, above that as well if you want. Uh, so yeah, you know, if you want to contribute to the show, uh, in either any of those ways, it's always appreciated. And, you know, even if you can't, if you just like this video and share it, help increase its, uh, exposure, that it helps a lot as well. So I appreciate you all for watching and we will talk again next week. Have a good night. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.